One o'clock. All right, hello and welcome to the Middle East Forum Speaker Webinar Series. I'm Stacey Roman and I will be moderating this discussion today. We're pleased to have Zvi Khan, a research fellow at the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies, join us to discuss the heist of Iran's nuclear archive and its continued importance. Mr. Khan will speak for 10 to 15 minutes and open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen. We will do our best to get to all questions, but we have many participants on this webinar today, so I apologize in advance if we do not get to yours. And with that, I'll turn the discussion over to Mr. Zvi Khan. Thank you very much, Stacy, and thank you to the Middle East Forum for inviting me today. It's good to be with you. Uh, what I'd like to do over the next few minutes is talk about Iran's nuclear archive, what it means, its implications for the 2015 nuclear deal and other non-proliferation agreements, and its implications for US policy towards Iran today. Earlier this month, the Board of Governors of the International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, which is the UN body tasked with monitoring Iran's nuclear program and verifying its key nuclear-related commitments, passed a resolution criticizing Iran for refusing to provide access to two suspicious sites. One of them is near the city of Abada in central Iran. According to the IAEA, the site may have involved quote, use and storage of nuclear material for outdoor conventional explosive testing may have taken place in 2003, end quote, in relation to nuclear weapons development. How did the IAEA learn of this site? Well, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu had publicly exposed the site last September, and Israel found out about it from Iran's nuclear archive. What's notable, though, is that this is only a tiny piece of the Iranian nuclear puzzle because the archive tells us a lot more about Iran's nuclear program than just this one site. Let me provide a little bit of background about the archive. In January of 2018, Israel's Mossad intelligence agency conducted a raid on a warehouse in Iran's capital city of Tehran, removing about 55,000 paper files, as well as 183 CDs with another 55,000 files on them, all of which catalog Iran's efforts to develop a nuclear weapon. Israeli officials estimate that the Jewish state sees only 20 to 50% of the archive's total contents. The covert archive contained a wealth of new information that contradicts longstanding assumptions about Iran's nuclear weapons program. Specifically, the archive identifies additional nuclear facilities, equipment, and activities previously unknown to the IAEA. Israeli officials estimate that, the, uh, for example, it discusses a tunnel complex at the Parchin military complex, known as the Shahid Borujerdi project, likely intended for the fabrication of uranium-based nuclear weapon components. Similarly, the archive indicates that Iran conducted more high explosive tests at Parchin than earlier IAEA reports indicate. The archive also expounds on a plan known as Project Midan to construct an underground test site for nuclear weapons. This reality points to flaws in past reporting on Iran's nuclear program. In a December 2015 report, the IAEA assessed that Iran's efforts to develop a bomb, quote, did not advance beyond feasibility and scientific studies and the acquisition of certain relevant technical competencies and capabilities, end quote. Similarly, a 2007 US national intelligence estimate judged with high confidence that Iran halted its nuclear weapons program in 2003. Yet the archive shows that the nuclear weapons program continued, albeit in a more circumscribed and diffuse manner, past 2003. Likewise, the archive indicates that Tehran, as of 2003, 
had already designed a nuclear weapon and developed plans to produce five warheads. In fact, the archive includes the minutes of meetings of Iranian officials, many still holding leadership positions today, that discuss methods for concealing Iran's nuclear activities. The archive even contains so-called deception folders, recording Iran's misinformation to IAEA officials, thereby ensuring their uniformity in each meeting with the agency. So why did US intelligence and the IAEA get it so wrong? What happened? Well, in August 2002, an Iranian opposition group exposed two clandestine sites in Iran, a uranium enrichment plant and a heavy water production plant. After the United States invaded Iraq in 2003, Iran feared that it would become Washington's next target. However, rather than halt its nuclear program, Iran devised a strategy aimed at preserving it while minimizing the risk of detection. <clears throat> to that end, Iran split its nuclear weapons project into covert and overt parts. The overt parts, located at research institutes and universities, consisted of nuclear activities that Tehran could plausibly describe as non-military in nature. Covert sites, meanwhile, would focus on research and development of weaponization activities aimed at preserving and advancing Iran's expertise. This effectively misled the IAEA and US intelligence. Now, what are the practical ramifications of all this today? Well, for starters, Tehran's decision to preserve the archive is, inc is inconsistent with its commitment under the 2015 nuclear deal, formerly known as the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, or JCPOA. In the JCPOA, Iran commits, quote, that under no circumstances will Iran ever seek, develop, or acquire any nuclear weapons, end quote. If Iran no longer seeks nuclear weapons, though, why would it preserve the archive? Moreover, the archive refers to specific nuclear equipment whose use is prohibited by the JCPOA. Yet the current location of this equipment is unknown. If Iran continues to use such equipment covertly today, Iran would be in violation of the JCPOA. But it's not only the JCPOA that Iran is violating. Iran's failure to declare the sites in the archive to the IAEA constitutes a violation of the Nuclear Nonproliferation Treaty, or NPT, which Iran ratified in 1970. Under the NPT, Iran is required to sign a Comprehensive Safeguards Agreement, or CSA, with the IAEA, which requires Iran to declare all nuclear sites in its territory. Iran is also likely violating the Additional Protocol, or AP, an add-on agreement to the Comprehensive Safeguards Agreement, which Iran signed in 2003, and that provides strength and tools for the IAEA to detect undeclared sites. <clears throat> As a result, the IAEA cannot reach a credible broader conclusion that all nuclear material in Iran remains in peaceful activities. In other words, this means that Iran is violating not merely the JCPOA, it also means that Iran is challenging the cornerstone of the nonproliferation regime that the NPT represents. It means that even as Iran was negotiating the JCPOA between 2012 and 2015, it was actively concealing nuclear sites from the international community. It means that even as Iran was implementing the deal post-2016, it was actively deceiving the IAEA. It means that Iran's duplicity vis-a-vis -vis the JCPOA is merely the tip of the iceberg. This reality has stark implications for the IAEA and the United States. Pursuant to the IAEA statute, the IAEA Board of Governors may refer any non-compliance with the Comprehensive Safeguards Agreement and the Additional Protocol to the UN Security Council countermeasures. Similarly, parties to the JCPOA, 
if faced with noncompliance by Iran, may also refer Iran to the UN Security Council to implement the JCPOA's key enforcement mechanism. This enforcement mechanism is as follows. If Iran violates the JCPOA, the United States <clears throat> can unilaterally reimpose all sanctions enacted by the UN Security Council, even without the support of other countries such as Russia and China. Such a step is known as a snapback mechanism. The United States retains the right to initiate a snapback, even though the Trump administration withdrew from the JCPOA in May of 2018. UN Security Council Resolution 2231, which endorsed and codified the JCPOA, defines the term participant state in the JCPOA to include the United States. A State Department legal opinion released in December of 2019 maintains that the resolution does not envision a change in this definition, even if Washington abandons the JCPOA. On the contrary, the JCPOA was specifically designed to facilitate a snapback if one of its parties believes at any time that Iran is engaging in significant non-performance of the Accord's provisions. I believe it's long past time for the U.S. Security Council to snap back sanctions on Iran for its long history of nuclear mendacity. Yet, in the IAEA Board of Governors resolution earlier this month, which I referenced at the start of this talk, it refrained from referring Iran to the UN Security Council for refusing to provide access to Abadeh and one other site. As my colleagues, Jacob Nagel and Andrea Stricker of the Foundation for Defense of Democracies have written, the resolution also contained no warning of future punishment. The language in the resolution was also soft, merely calling on Iran to cooperate with the IAEA, not requiring it. The resolution also lacked stronger language describing Iran's violations and the potentially military nature of its activities. What accounts for the IAEA Board of Governors' reticence? Most likely, it is afraid of torpedoing the JCPOA. If the UN Security Council snaps back sanctions on Iran, it would spell the death knell of the JCPOA. Yet I believe it's long past time that the international community recognize that the JCPOA is not the solution to the Iranian nuclear challenge. If the JCPOA were so effective, why did it fail to learn about the sites mentioned in the archive? Likewise, the IAEA Board of Governors needs to recognize that Iran's violations of the NPT, the Comprehensive Safeguards Agreement, and the additional protocol are separate from its obligations under the JCPOA. If the IAEA fails to uphold the decades-old agreement that lies at the heart of the non-proliferation regime, why should any other rogue regime take the IAEA seriously? At stake is nothing less than the integrity and credibility of the IAEA. Accordingly, I believe the United States should at long last invoke the JCPOA snapback mechanism in order to punish Iran for its nuclear violations. Only the reimposition of strong sanctions will persuade Iran to halt its long-standing long history of nuclear mendacity. Uh, I'll stop there. Thank you very much, and I look forward to your questions. All right, thank you so much. Um, so I guess the first question is, wow, um, that's a lot of information. Uh, what can be done to, to get the international community's head out of the sand, I guess? I mean, you were just going over that, but have these sites been um, like visited and seen that there is actually a nuclear proliferation going on there? Well, we haven't gotten access to the site, and I think that's part of the problem. I think, what the United, I think the United States needs to take the lead on this. And I think one of the best ways we can do that is finally invoking the snapback mechanism because that would put the international community to a real choice. It would basically say to them, look, you have these sites, 
Iran isn't providing access to them. So what are you going to do about it? What does this say about the IAEA non-proliferation regime? And I think if the United States were to do that at long last, I think it would force the international community to act whether they want to or not, because this is part of, this is the cornerstone of the non-proliferation regime. Thank you. Uh, why do you think there is such re reluctance to pursue the snapback? Isn't it in everyone's best interest? Well, I think it's because it would torpedo the JCPOA. I mean, I think the JCPOA for many people, and particularly in Europe and Russia and China, has become too big to fail. It's basically, for them, it's the, it's the cornerstone of the entire non-proliferation regime. For them, it basically says that if, you, if, if, if this is what's going, if, if you don't have this agreement, then Iran is definitely going to get a nuclear weapon. It's going to destabilize the region. Um, but I think that's not true. And I think what's, and I think what's, uh, the JCPOA has actually inflamed the region because what it's done is it's basically allowed Iran to conceal these sites. It's allowed Iran to, uh, to pursue its nuclear ambitions uh, covertly while simultaneously providing Iran with tens of billions of dollars of sanctions relief which it's used to expand its regional ambitions and its support for terrorism throughout the region. So, so that's not a particularly fair trade. And I think the international community has been in denial about this for far too long. And I think that if we were to invoke the snapback mechanism, um, it would basically call out their bluff. It would call out the fact that the JCPOA has not been working. And I think the international community is just loath to admit that uh, because it goes against what they've been believing and advocating for all these years. Thanks. How accurate are these files today, do you think, since they were already several years old when they were taken by Mossad? Well, I think they're very accurate. This has been, uh, this has been uh, confirmed by IAEA and by U.S. and British intelligence. Excuse me. Um, there's no reason to doubt their authenticity. Iran, these are in Farsi language documents that, uh, um, that uh, uh, has been that has been very reviewed by U.S. intelligence that has been reviewed by my colleagues at the Institute for Science and International Security, and what they've seen is that uh, this refer they refer to sites and to and to facilities that have been long known to the international community and to the IAEA. So I don't think there's any real doubt about this at this point. These are authentic files, and I think that we have to, at long last, recognize that so that we can get to the bottom of Iran's nuclear program. Thanks. So you mentioned that the U.S. would be the most likely choice to, to lead the way on this, but can you speculate on how a change in the office in November would uh, have any effect on this? Well, that's a great question. Um, it's, it's likely to have a big effect because, President, because Vice President Biden has pledged to return to the JCPOA. Now, whether he'll actually act on this pledge, I think, is actually an open question. Because if uh, because what the problem with the JCPOA is that its key terms begin to expire in 2023. So by the time so by the time President Bi a President Biden would reach the end of his first term, the JCPOA would already begin to be expiring. So as a result, he has to have a plan. He has to have a post JCPOA plan. And I think that already and for that he needs to have leverage on Iran. He needs to have leverage so that he could actually persuade Iran and force Iran to negotiate a new add-on agreement. So if he were to return to the JCPOA, he would lose a lot of that leverage. So I think we'll see what happens, um, whether or not President Biden, a President Biden will actually do that. But uh, I think um, he's gonna have a very difficult choice to make because if he doesn't go back, because if he chooses to go back to the JCPOA, 
he's on a time limit and that time he's on a ticking clock and that clock is going to expire by the end of his first term. Thank you. Can you comment on the explosion of the Iranian test site that was reported this past week by satellite imagery? Well, we don't know. That's a great question. Uh, I think time will tell at this point. There have been earlier, and there have been earlier, there have been some reports that this was commandeered by Israeli intelligence uh, as part of an effort to uh, uh, undo its nuclear, its, uh, to sabotage its missile program. But I think at this point, there's still too many unknowns to really comment on that. So I wish I could provide more information. But I think time will tell, and we'll have, we'll get to the bottom of it eventually. So why did the Israelis choose to disclose this intelligence instead of keeping the Iranians unaware that the Israelis knew? Well, I think that's a, that's a great question. I think what likely is they want the IAEA to act on it. They want the international community to act. Uh, if they could keep, there's not, much, there's not much use to having this information if we don't do anything with it. I don't think just holding it covertly would necessarily accomplish much. Uh, they need to get the IAEA to inspect these sites and I think part of, and I think in doing so, it can, um, and I think in doing so, it can allow the IAEA to inspect it. And if Iran refuses to comply with the IAEA, then it could go, then Iran, then, then the international community could bring Iran to the UN Security Council on countermeasures, and the US can invoke the snapback mechanism to reimpose sanctions on Iran. So I think it's necessary for us to expose this site, for us to expose the archive, because if we didn't, it, because by doing so, it allows us. Uh, to impose real penalties on Iran and expose the fact that Iran has been lying and the fact that the JCPOA has not been working uh, all this time. So what is the status of nuclear programs of Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and Turkey, which were initiated when details of the JPOA leaked out about five years ago? Well, those, site, those, progr those programs are still, I think, in the budding stage. Uh, I think at a certain point, the, you know, they're not going to be announcing it publicly, these programs. Uh, if they, they're, these are programs, obviously, that they don't want necessarily, they don't want the international community to be, to get onto it so quickly. So I think uh, right now they're still, however, uh, likely in their early stages. Uh, I don't think at this point that they're at the, at the verge of going nuclear or anything like that. Um, they want to, um, I think they're right, right now they're hedging their bets and they're holding on to see what happens with Iran's nuclear program and to see if the United States and Israel are going to enforce the red lines on Iran and actually let Iran get a nuclear weapon. I think if Iran goes nuclear or if they continue to expand its nuclear activities without getting without stopping, then it's very likely that uh, Iran, that Saudi Arabia and other countries are going to uh, expand their nuclear programs and see if that as a necessary counterweight to Iran. Given the dispersal of Iran's testing and development projects, does military action against Iran still, is military action against Iran still feasible? That's a good question. Um, short answer is, you know, I, I don't have access to Israeli intelligence and to US intelligence. Uh, I don't know exactly whether or not, to what degree they have the abilities um, to, uh, to attack Iran's nuclear facilities. Uh, I do think, though, that's I'd be very surprised if they don't have a counter plan. If they don't have a plan, uh, they need uh, they need they have to. I mean, this is an existential situation for Israel. It's obviously a near existential for the United States as well. If you were if Iran were to attack a U.S. city um, such as Washington D.C. or New York, um, so I think they obviously. I'm, I would be very shocked if they don't have a plan, and I think that they would uh, have to that over time. 
um, they would have to be prepared for this and, and time will tell. Uh, we have so many questions coming in. This is a very interesting topic for sure. Um, does Russia give its full support to Iran's nuclear program or do they want it to be limited? Well, I think they want it to be limited, but at the same time, um, they're not as concerned about it as the United States or Israel is. And I think that's part of the problem. Uh, right now, Russia is, is vociferously opposing the renewal of the arms embargo on Iran, which is right now pending before the UN Security Council. Um, they've long provided assistance to Iran's nuclear program. Um, I think they're in a bit of denial about Iran's intentions. And I think part of the problem is that they want to, uh, for them, this isn't just about Iran's nuclear program. It's also about great power competition with the United States. And for them, Iran is partially an ally. They want, they want, um, they want uh, Iran, they, they want to sell arms to Iran. Um, they want to basically show that they're a regional power broker in the region. Um, and so I think um, they are in effect supporting Iran's nuclear program, although I don't think they're necessarily uh, too enthused about going nuclear, but for them, this is about much more than an Iranian nuclear program. It's about regional power projection, projection and countering the United States. And that's why I think it's very, it's very concerning. So you were mentioning the red line earlier, but now in this current situation, what do you think the pathway to escalation would be? What would be the trigger for the Israeli and or US kinetic action? That's a very good question. The short answer is we don't know. Uh, I think Israel and the United States are watching this very closely. I think what's likely, I think what would likely be a very key trigger is as it's break, is, is Iran's breakout time. Breakout time refers to the amount of time that Iran needs to develop enough uranium, highly enriched uranium for one nuclear weapon. So uh, if Iran were to um, reach a low, right now it's breakout time, according to the Institute for Science and International Security, is about three months. As that breakout time decreases, uh, Iran is, I think the United States and Israel are likely gonna wake up and say, hey, we might have to act. So if that breakout time goes, continues to go down, and I think the odds, the chances for US military or Israeli military escalation are going to dramatically increase. Thank you. So the NRC thinks boiling water nuclear reactors are more dangerous than traditional nuclear reactors. What do you think? Boiling water nuclear reactors. I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> okay. Um, so who were the ones who originally allowed such a poor agreement to be offered and accepted? And to whose benefit did this uh, serve? Uh, well, this was, a pro this was a project of the Obama administration and the international community, the P5 plus one. It's Russia, Russia China, Europe, Britain, Germany, and France. Uh, so this was, a this was a longstanding project of the Obama administration. Uh, it was basically planned for years, actually. Um, and I think, the, I think the Obama administration hoped that this nuclear, that this nuclear deal would defang Iran's nuclear ambitions. And at the same time, um, as they repeatedly said, it would, they hoped that it would lead Iran to moderate. Um, I think that was a key plan of the, the, the hope was that if this nuclear deal were signed, then, Iran, then it would lead to further cooperation uh, between Iran and the international community. Um, so uh, if, um, uh, so, if, so right now, I think uh, that was the plan. It, it has not come true. Mod it has, Iran has not moderated. And uh, I think um, 
uh, that was the hope, but it has not come to pass. Thank you. So jumping back a little bit, you explain what uh, President Biden might do, but what if it's President Trump? What do you see happening? Well, I think President Trump is very eager for a new nuclear deal with Iran. Uh, I think that's part, that's, that's the premise of his strategy. And I think the maximum pressure campaign is going to continue under President Trump if he were to be reelected. Uh, if Iran continues uh, to pursue its nuclear ambitions and if the breakout time continues to go down, then I think Iran is likely, then, then the United States is going to have a choice about whether or not to engage in military action. But for now, I think President Trump is certainly not going to engage in any military action before an election. Uh, and I think uh, right now he's, his, his mind is elsewhere. And, um, uh, and I think that right, and I think he's going to have to, uh, 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 and I think he's going to have to uh, make a decision if he were to win re-election and the breakout time goes down about what he's going to do. Thank you so much. Unfortunately, we have run out of time, but if you could please explain to us where we could find some more information on this, that would be very uh, helpful. I've go to www.fdd.org. That's, that's the website of the Foundation for Defense of Democracies where I work. Wonderful. Thank you so much for, for giving us all that terrifying but wonderful information. We really do appreciate you taking time out of your day for that. Um, for our viewers, please join us Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern for Ashley Perry's weekly Israel Insider Update. And thank you all for joining us again, and I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you very much.